Lord this evening, and I appreciate you praying for us throughout the day, and we're praying God will just work in all of our hearts together. We know that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Uh, We have that promise where two or three are gathered together in my name. He said, there am I in the midst, and I'm looking for Him, amen, to do what needs to be done tonight. Let's stand. We'll reverence God's Word together in its reading out of Romans chapter number 5. And we'll start in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for the promises therein. And thank You, dear God, that it lives and abides forever. Lord, I pray tonight that You may... Apply this word to every heart that listens. Lord, those that are lost, I pray conviction and settle in on them. And may the light of God shine upon their soul that they might see their need of salvation. Lord, I pray for your people that you might bless and encourage them. Lord, for those that might be here backslid on God, I pray conviction and fall upon their heart. Lord, they'd be drawn back to a right relationship with you. Lord, our eyes are upon you now. Ask you to help us. We plead the blood of the Lord Jesus. In His name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Romans is divided into several sections, and each one of these begin with the word therefore. And as the Lord lays one line of truth down, then He builds upon that, and He says, because of this now... Uh, you can rejoice in this, and he gives another truth. And then uh, he lives another layer and another layer, and he proceeds right on through the book of Romans in regard to that. It's often been called the uh, courtroom drama of redemption. And as a good lawyer would bring his case before uh, the judge, so the Lord gives us the case for salvation. Uh, you'll never be really settled in your soul till you see the mechanics of why God and how God would save any sinner. A lot of folk are trusting in their emotions, and your emotions are like the ocean. They'll move you back and forth, and you'll never uh, really be settled in your relationship with God until you get to the facts of why the Lord has done what He's done uh, in regard to our salvation and in regard to our need. But tonight I want to look in verse number 1 of Romans chapter number 5. And I want to preach on this subject, peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, we know that the word peace means to lay aside all hostilities. It means to be reconciled unto. It means to have a right relationship where there's no enmity and there's no animosity between two parties that formerly had been in a division. Now, we look at this verse and we see, first of all, uh, there has to be two things established. Number one, that man naturally does not have peace with God. And number two, that there is a God. If you don't believe there's God, then you won't be seeking to have peace with Him. And the book of Romans plainly establishes the fact that there is a God. I want you to turn back, if you will, please, over to the book of Romans, chapter number 1. And as this book opens up, 
uh, the Lord gives us some established fact that uh, He is around, that He's God, and uh, that He's made Himself known so that uh, people ought to realize that there is a God. Uh, look over in chapter number 1, and uh, verse number 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. The first thing I see that helps me understand there is a God is this business of conscience. Conscience means an inward guide. It's that which is in the back of your mind that says, "Uh uh-huh, that's right, that's wrong. And you know, unless your conscience is seared or it's reprobated, uh, you'll have an acknowledgement that there is a God. There's something in the back of a man's mind that helps him understand there is a higher power than himself. That there's somebody behind all creation. And if you don't believe that, you listen to 911 tapes on September 11th, and hear what those people are screaming out is that fire's engulfing the building, and they know they're going to die. And though they haven't had any thoughts of God at all, they'll cry out to that dispatcher, and they'll say, Oh my, Mother Monkey! Oh my, Darwin, help us! Oh my! No, they use the name God. And whenever people are going to have a head-on collision, they grab that steering wheel and they close their eyes. And though they have used God's name in vain, and maybe they have not even acknowledged there is a God, you know what they're going to scream out? They're going to, as they're fixing to hit that other car, they're going to say, Oh my! And then use the name of God. Why don't they use the name Mickey Mouse? Why don't they cry out for Cinderella? They know that's fairy tales and fiction. But somewhere in the back of your mind, you know there is a God. And that conscience back there says, there's a God, you need to wake up and you need to listen. The Bible says that God put it in them. In verse 19, because it made me known of God, oh, it's manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. And there is some degree of light that is given unto you. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And the Lord says, there's something that I've instilled in you that you might know that there's a God. doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't even mean that you're going to be saved. But it does mean that God has placed in you uh, something that says, yes, He's telling you the truth. You better perk your ears up and you better listen. But you know, people snuff that conscience down. It's just like having a guard dog out back of your house. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh! Oh, 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 shut up. I'm trying to sleep. Oh, 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 oh. Y'all, you shut up. They come out there and call whop. He hits that dog and that dog goes, whoop, whoop, and go back in the doghouse. Goes back and lays down in a minute. Oh, 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 boom. And he just keeps running that dog down and shutting him up. And after a while, that old dog just draws up in a knot. And while all this is going on, that old thief is behind the tree back there saying, I'm glad he's shutting that guard dog up. Well, that conscience back there is like a barking dog. You come and your conscience is tender, the Word of God's preached, and that conscience says, he's right. They do love you. 
They're telling you the truth. They're trying to help you. You better shut up. But uh, they're here to tell you what's true. You may not like, shut up. And boy, it's just like the Bible talks about a seared conscience. It's like you cut your finger off and blood squirting. You get that hot iron and you and you cauterize that and it stops the bleeding. And it forms that callous and the numbness and the feeling is gone. Ah, preacher, that old hard preaching don't bother me no more. You know why? Because your conscience is being seared and you're in worse shape than anybody in this building if God don't bother you no more. Ah, yeah, bring it on. I can laugh it off. I can laugh it Don't bother me, preacher. Yeah. And you're getting close to having a seared conscience. And then the next step is a reprobate conscience. That word reprobate means turned over to do what you want to do. It's like Israel. They said, Samuel, give us a king. Give us a king. Give us a God. And Samuel said, you don't want a king. That king's going to uh, take your young men, put them in war and kill them. He's going to tax you. He's going to run your life. You don't want, give us a king. Give us a king. Come on. I said, all right. That's what you want. You're going to get what you want, but you're not going to want what you get. And that's the way a reprobate mind is. I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You don't need to be doing that. This is wrong. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You're in for a lifetime of turmoil. You're in for a lifetime. But I want it. I want it. I want it. But I got to have it. And after a while, God says, all right, you want it? It's yours. And he turns you over to do those things that are not convenient. And so if there's any inkling of an acknowledgement to know there's a God in you, you better be grateful that he hadn't turned you over to that reprobate mind. And then the second thing that he says should alert us to the fact there is a God is in verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by, by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God said, I have stamped my copyright and put my fingerprint on even the invisible things of the world to let you know that there is a God. And when you study creation, and all that it takes to keep this planet in its orbit, to keep this atmosphere where we can breathe and live and move and have our being, to keep the volcanic eruption from exploding down in the heart of the earth. Yellowstone is the largest volcano hotspot in the world, and the scientists tell us if it blows, it'll take out from Mississippi to California, from Mexico to Canada, and it'll be the greatest explosion the world has ever known. But something's keeping that back and staying that back. If a scientist is honest, When he examines all that it takes in this world and all the things that are going on, he has to say there's somebody that hath designed this. I was in Moscow, Russia preaching. and We left Moscow and went up to Kostroma, up the Volga River. And it's an all-night bus ride. We had a translator that's with us, Sergei is his name. And Sergei is a lost fella. He sat down beside me and uh, he started talking, and I witnessed to him. He said, oh, said, 
said, I believe in the million billion year theory, the Big Bang theory. I said, why? He said, that's what we've always been taught. I said, Sarah Gate, you know better than that. He said, no, no, that's the scientific proof. I said, you want proof? I said, do you know what a Jaguar sports car is? He said, I do. I said, you know, the low profile tires, the uh, high horsepower engine, the leather interior, the beautiful paint job. I know what they are. I said, do you know where the Jaguar sports car came from? He said, where? I said, 40 million years ago, there was an explosion in an automobile factory and it blew out Jaguar sports cars of all makes, models, shapes, and kind. He looked at me and said, are you crazy? I said, you think I'm crazy? I said, look at your body. Your eye able to look at something close and then see a star light years away. Your hands able to touch and feel. Be able to grip better than any robot that there is. Your brain that's more sophisticated and powerful than any computer on the face of the earth. Your circulatory system and your heart that pumps faithfully for 80, 90 years and never gives out. You think about all that it takes to smell something, to hear something, to taste something, to be able to hear, translate that, turn around and communicate and then speak to somebody else and then give you a verbal sound and you interpret that and then you understand exactly what there's. And you're trying to tell me that all that just happened out of a big blowout? Huh? Yeah. Stars blew apart. An amoeba jumped on a fiery meteorite. and run. That don't make sense. Mama taught me if I had a splinter in my hand and wanted to dig it out, you take a match and light it on the head of the pen and it kills all those germs. But anyhow, he's riding down through the universe on warp speed of a fiery meteorite and it drops off in an ocean. And they don't tell you where the Atlantic Ocean come from, but it was there, you know. And then all of a sudden that little amoeba begins to evolve. It turns into a shrimp and then a guppy and bleeps into a flying fish and bloops into a shark and swells up into a uh, big old whale and comes out of the water and likes it outside the water better than it does inside the water. So it grows its a tail and becomes an iguana lizard and crawls out and he begins to walk around, decides it's too cold so it grows him some fur and becomes a possum and then he bleeps into a kangaroo and hops around and he wants to climb a tree so he bloops into a chimpanzee and then he bleeps into a gorilla and he reaches out to get him a banana and he slips and hits his head on a rock puts his suit and a tie on and marched over here to Oklahoma State University and got him a job teaching evolution and we're supposed to swallow all that and that's what they teach in the public schools and in the universities of this world God said the invisible things. Dan Truax, my uh, mission teacher in Bible college, said he was in Africa, been to an unvisited tribe, and sat down with the chief that night. And he said, I just started asking questions, chief. Uh, How do you know that there's a God? He said, we know there is a God. Uh, Tell him how there's a God. And the man over there said, because whoever makes the sun rise in the east and sets in the west every day, that must be the one behind it all called God. Another said, the early and the latter rains come every year, that must be God. The one that breathes life and gives me a child through my wife said, that must be God. We know there is a God. 
He said, well, let me tell you about this God. And gave him the word of God and the gospel. And the whole tribe got saved by the grace of God. But their first step was the acknowledgement that there is a God. You're not going to want peace with somebody that don't exist. You better realize there is a God. We're like Belshazzar and all of his crew. They had their naked women and their drinking and their carousing and got so bold that they went and got the cups and the vessels that they had stole from the temple and poured wine in them. And they were drinking and having a big party and all of a sudden there was a hand that showed up. And that hand started writing on the wall and Belshazzar looked at that and he got afraid because he couldn't read the writing. And he asked his magicians and soothsayers what it said. They said, we don't know. We don't know that hand and we don't know the writing of that hand. He said, but oh, there's a fellow here that probably will. His name Daniel. And he went and got Daniel. And he asked Daniel, said, can you interpret that? He said, no, I can't. But there is a God. And he said, here's the interpretation. Meaning, meaning, tickle you farce and you're weighed in the balances and found wanting. And he wanted to give Daniel honors and riches. And he said, keep it to yourself. Uh, It's not going to do you any good for me to be in your kingdom because you ain't going to have your kingdom long. And before the sun come up, they'd already overtaken that kingdom. But Daniel came in the middle of that crowd and said, there is a God. And this generation that we're living in needs to understand that there is a God. We're not traveling through this planet and through this time zone and through this generation by ourselves. There is a God, a God that's on the throne, a God that's keeping record, a God that will be accounted to, a God that's calling you to bow before Him and get right with Him. You have to get peace with God. How in the world can I make peace with God And why is there war? Well, there's division. And in verse 29, he says, Because of this division of sin, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, uh, truce breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful, and all of that is sin that has brought division between man and between God. And as a result, we are the enemies of a holy and a righteous God. Well, now what does man do? He says, I don't have peace with God, but I need to to make peace with God. So here's how I'll try to make peace. I'll bring God something. I'll work. I'll do something. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and they lost that coat of light and they realized they were naked because sin had stripped them of that ability to walk before the Lord and brought a division and they ran to the trees and they hid in the shadow of the trees and they began to think with a depraved natural mind. Ah. Oh, we're out of the will of God. God said to Adam, eat thereof, you shall surely die. And we've died spiritually. But how, how can we make peace with God? Oh, I know. Hey, Adam, let's, let's make our own clothes. And, and maybe God won't recognize it. And so they get these big old fig leaves. And they make aprons. And that means to hang from the waist. And uh, Adam and Eve made their own clothing. And Adam looked at Eve and said, Boy, it sure does look good, darling. She said, You look pretty handsome yourself. 
I don't think God will even recognize it. You knew. I believe we'll be all right. And that was the beginning of the fig leaf factory of self-righteousness. Man trying to develop something that could bring him peace with God. That worked pretty good till God come through. And when God come walking through in the cool of the day, and it was the cool of the day because man had never been that cold before. God called Adam. Adam, where art thou? And had God not called, he'd have died in the bushes somewhere. But God in mercy called him out. Adam, why were you hiding? He said, because I was naked. God said, whoa, Adam, wait a minute, son. Man, you have fixed the problem. You look really good. Look what you have sown. Eve, my, you're some more seems that is so. Now, come on, let's, let's walk and let's fellowship. That's not the way the story goes. The story goes, God didn't even answer old Adam. Adam said he was naked, and God said, Why have you done what you did? And he confessed it up there. And you know what God did? God took two coats of skin, and he put them on Adam, and he put them on Eve. And He robed them and gave them the promise that the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus, the virgin-born Son of God, would come and die on the cross. And there He would robe them with His righteousness. But you see, even today, man's trying to establish his own righteousness before God. But turn over there to Romans chapter number 3. And you see that self-righteousness cannot and will not ever bring peace with God. Well, preacher, you know, I'll come to church. I'll flip a dollar in the offering. I'll try to help Granny with a load of firewood. It's getting cold. And, you know, maybe I'll help uh, uh, Mr. John get across the road and all of that. But uh, maybe God will see that. Maybe my good works will outweigh my bad. Well, look what God says in verse number 10 of Romans 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He said, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And in verse 17, it said, in the way of peace they have not known. Your self-righteousness cannot bring you peace with God. There's a lot of folks sit in church and got their religion, but when they lay down on their bed at night, they are troubled. And they're worried that if they died in their sleep, they'll split hell wide open. They're scared to death. And sometimes they'll get up and call somebody or run in there, fill in the bed of mom and dad, make sure they're still there and the rapture hadn't took place and they're left behind. And they have no peace in their mind and no peace in their heart with God because religious works and religious efforts on our part cannot produce peace with Almighty God. Now he says, There's, we know that what things whoever the law saith is said to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. You may stack up pretty good against me. You may look over there and say, boy, I'll tell you, I'm better than that feller. I'm better than that gal. Well, as far as man's viewpoint, you might be. But stack yourself up against God. Stack yourself up against the holiness of God and see how you come out. 
And that law was given not to save because you cannot keep it. There's a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, do, do. Oh, you want to do something? So what about the commandments? Oh, I've known the commandments from my youth. What about them? I've kept them all, kept them all. The Lord said, all right, let's put it to the test. There are just two great commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. He said, you go sell what you've got, give to the poor and come follow me. Number one, do you love the Lord thy God with all your heart enough to sell all you have? Number two, do you love your neighbor like yourself and you just soon him have it as you have it? And the Bible said he went away sorrowful for he had great riches. Jesus tells us this when the disciples said, Who then can be saved? He said, With man it is impossible. It's not this rare. It's not this difficult. It's impossible. Put you on a dark robe. Get on your knees and pray till they turn to blood. You go and do all your good works and you do all the things that the world says you can do to merit favor in the sight of God. And God said, none of it will be accepted before me. For the law was not given to save, but it was given to show us how lost we are. And you know, you're not going to even want to get saved till you get lost. Hey, come here a minute. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever seen yourself doomed and damned and on your road to hell? Do you realize that naturally you do not have peace with God? God is angry with the wicked every day. And Jesus said, He that believeth not is under condemnation. The wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God is over you. Joseph Aline wrote that book years ago on sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, our Jonathan Edwards wrote that message, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. And Aline wrote that alarm to the unconverted. And in Sinners to the Angry God, of an Angry God, in the hands of an angry God, he said, God has his bow pulled and bent and ready to release at any time. And the only thing that's keeping you from facing the judgment of God is the sheer mercies of God. Amen. And why God hadn't clipped your life's thread? And why God hasn't opened up hell and dropped you in it is nothing more than His sheer mercy and His divine grace that has been given to you even as a sinner. And He does not owe you another chance. He does not owe you another opportunity. And at any time, God in His holiness could say, it is enough and cut your thread of life off and that will be it. But in mercy... And in grace, God's give you another breath. He's give you the light of another day. He's give you another opportunity. My, how good God is. And the Bible says, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. But in verse 21, He talks about how we can get peace with God, the righteousness of God. Without the law's manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Unto all and upon all them that believe, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says, you want to make peace? Then you have to know the Prince of Peace. 
The one that came and hung between heaven and earth. He came as lowly man, perfect man. But he came as all God. And he got a hold of Holy Father. And he got a hold of sinful man. And between him and uh, God, there is a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, that can bring us together and make peace because of what he has done. He satisfies the holiness of God. He cleanses the sinfulness of men. And thank God by faith, in Him and by faith in Him alone. That's the only way that you can be saved and that's the only way that you can have peace in your soul with Almighty God. To be justified, to be redeemed, to be forgiven will only come from God by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know it works? I'll tell you how I know it works. May the 20th of 1977, sitting back in the back, there, it was a big crowd in that tent, but it's like everybody left me. But God boxed me up under Holy Ghost conviction, and suddenly my sinfulness became very sinful, and I understood that I was out of shape with God, and I had no peace with God. But praise God, those old Cherokee Indians got up there and sung Amazing Grace in their native tongue under that old gospel tent that night. I found myself in that sawdust shaving altar, rooting around, begging God to be merciful to me a sinner. God was merciful to me a sinner. Save my soul that night. I got up out of that altar. It's like 10,000 tons is lifted off my shoulders and I had peace with God. I had a conscience that was clear. Praise God. I had a relationship with the Lord like I'd never had before. I know it works from experience. Hallelujah. And I know it works by faith and that can happen to you tonight. Are you not tired of the struggle? Are you not tired of the battle? Are you not tired of being on the outside? Thank God, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and you can have peace with God. Then look back there at our text in Romans 5 and verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. He said that's the foundation of it. We have peace with God. Justify. It means to declare righteous. How can God look at any of us knowing all we've done and all that we ever will do and say, Brandon White, you are righteous in my sight. Huh. Even we say, oh my, how can that be? But here's how it can be. Praise God, you've embraced the Lord Jesus and God does this. God looks at His Son, the Lord Jesus, and says, You are righteous in my sight. Because I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at Jesus. And you've trusted Him. And because He hath paid the price and, and He's done the work, you're righteous in my sight because now you are in Christ Jesus and you've trusted Him and His righteousness has been imparted to you and you are as righteous as my Son by faith in Him. Hallelujah. Therefore, being justified by faith, you know what? I have peace with God. I can sleep tonight. And I can rest tonight. And I'm not worried about death. I'm not disturbed about the last days and the coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. I'm not tore up about what's going on because I have peace with God. Hallelujah. I want to ask you, do you have peace with God tonight? If you don't have peace with God, 
you come get your eyes on Jesus and call on Him and trust Him and He will justify you by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can go out of here with peace in your heart. Let's stand all over the house. Sister, if you'll come on the piano. We'll bow our heads and hearts before the Lord tonight. You're here tonight, you're lost without God. I beseech you to come and get in this altar and beg God to save you. Don't go out of here lost. Don't go out here jeopardizing your soul for all eternity. Go out here with no peace in your mind and in your heart. You don't have to live like that. Praise God, Jesus has salvation for you that produces peace for you. You're here tonight and your backslid on God. You're not letting the peace of God rule in your heart. The umpire has blown the whistle on you. And the game is stopped till you get the foul straightened out. Boy, you know you're saved, but there's something disturbing you. You know you're just not walking where you ought to. You need to come get that straightened out. Let that bird of peace start singing in your soul like it has in days gone by. Come and let the Lord have His way in your heart, will you? If she begins to play some number, you're here this evening. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you just need to draw closer. Maybe there's something in your heart you just want to commit to the Lord. You want to come join these praying. Whatever the matter might be, maybe God just touched your heart about something. I don't have to have mentioned it. If God mentioned it and God spoke to you, You need to just come and talk to Him this evening. Let Him have His way in your heart. You don't have to live in the shape of having no peace, no joy, no relationship with your Creator. Praise God. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. God's speaking to you. God's dealing with you. You need to come. You come on tonight. No peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The way of peace they have not known. But when you come to Jesus, you come to the Prince of Peace. And He can give peace in your heart. You can know everything is right between you and the Lord. You don't have to guess and wonder. You can know everything is right between you and the Lord. If you trust Jesus and get your eyes on Him, He'll save you. You take Him at His promise. You take Him at His promise. Don't you let nobody, don't you let nothing hinder you, stop you. Don't let anything stop you. You come tonight. You call on His name. Trust Him this evening. Look to Him. God's speaking to you. You come. These are praying around the altar here tonight. You let him have his way in your heart, will you?